Our topic this week from Genesis chapter 11 and 12, Abraham blesses all the earth. And so we've starting kind of a new series. So we just finished the series out of Genesis on Genesis chapters 1 through 10, which covers about 2,000 years of history. And then we start with this Genesis 11 and Abraham's introduced. And there's about 14 chapters on Abraham. So 10 chapters to cover 2,000 years and about 14 chapters to cover about 40 years. <laughs> and it's not all of Abraham's life. We jump in at the year around 75 in his life. Uh, and, and so like I say, it's around 40, maybe 50 years covered of his life. And that's not, you know, even the rest of his life. He lives longer than 125 years. So we come in around 75 and then it uh, covers a portion of his life in 14 chapters. And so the Bible is not a detailed history of everything that has taken place. Uh, it hits what God thought was important for whatever reason at whatever time. And so it hit uh, what he thought was important for the first 2,000 years in 10 chapters. And one third of Earth's history in 10 chapters of the Bible. And then God felt that Abraham was very important, the experience of God and Abraham, important lessons for us. And so he spent more chapters on that, and so we'll be spending a few weeks at least, uh, 38 or so weeks in the first 10 chapters, so we'll see how many weeks it will be uh, for Abraham. So, Genesis chapter 11, starting verse 27. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. So Terah, Abram's father, has three children, or three mentioned. They might have had more. The Bible doesn't mention all the children that everyone had, but for whatever reason, some significant ones or significant to the account or the story at hand are mentioned. And so it mentions these three. And mentioning Abram first, most likely Abraham was the oldest of the three at least, and Haran probably the youngest of those three. And that Haran has a son named Lot, and Haran dies before his father. So we'll see in a little bit, Terah doesn't live very long uh, comparatively. And so for Haran, Haran, Haran to be his son dying before this experience, before before they leave or the Chaldeans, and Abraham being 75 years old, or 75 years when his age is mentioned, and they're already on the road by then, so maybe Abraham was 74 or 70 or whatever, which would make Iran younger by at least two years if, if the three are mentioned in order. And so maybe somewhere in his 60s uh, he died, which would be young even under today's standard, how much more so under those standards. And so it's kind of a significant thing. He died, no doubt, that was a lot of grief for the family. It's very difficult to lose a child. Uh, it's a very difficult grief to, to go through. Verse 29, Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and of the father of Ishkar. So Haran, one of Abram's brothers, has 
at least three children, right? Who are the three children? Haran's three children. Milka, Iska, and, and Lot. Right, that's what we read in the last slide, right? I know some people have a short memory, but uh, yeah, so, uh, so, so how are Milka and Lot related? Aunt and nephew. And sister and brother. They have the same father. Haran is their father. And then Nahor, which is Haran's brother and Abram's brother. So uh, Nahor marries his niece, Milka, who's the sister of Lot. We got all that in just two verses. <laughs> so, so complicated uh, relationships going on here. And then verse 30, uh, Genesis 11, verse 30, but Sarai was barren. She had no child. That's what barren means, right? So it's kind of like a double statement there. So for emphasis, and it's kind of starting the story about Abram. It really hasn't said a lot about Abram yet. And then he's got uh, two brothers mentioned and his father's name there, and then he's married to Sarai. But then within just a couple verses, it mentions that Sarah is barren. So that becomes key to the Abraham account in the Bible, as we'll see as we continue on. But it's brought out very quickly in the plot, in, in the account, in the historical account. So then to Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, Terah took his son, Abram, his grandson, Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, his son, Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. So they were all living in Ur of the Chaldeans, and for some reason they leave, could be because, as we'll see, God speaks to Abraham and tells him to leave. Um, and so they leave. Terah goes with them. Abraham's father goes with them. And Lot goes with them. Doesn't mention Nahor, Abraham's other brother, going. And uh, Haran, the brother, Abraham's brother, is already deceased at this point. And so Lot goes with him. And you'll notice Lot doesn't mention Lot having a wife at this point. And that'll become significant, not this week, but... Weeks down the road, when we look more about Lot and Lot's family and Lot's life, uh, at this point, he's not married. So he doesn't have a wife that came from Or. At least not at this point. Not, didn't come with him, at least not mentioned. And in verse 32, So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah, Terah died in Haran. So on the way to Canaan, he dies along the way. They're going along the northern route going from what's now Iraq area up through Syria, on their way down to Canaan, and he dies. 205 years, now that might sound like a lot of years to you, but in that day, uh, really biblical, what we've been looking at, wasn't a whole lot. Right? Noah lived over 900 years, 
and everyone prior to Noah that's mentioned in the Bible was 800 to 900 years, one of them 700 years, seven something, but basically average eight, 900 years. So that's quite a dramatic shift. We have about 10 generations from Adam to Noah, all around eight, 900 years, pretty consistently. And then boom, within 10 generations from Noah to Abram, it drops down to just 200 years. Abraham dies even younger than 200 years. So dramatic change that takes place. And I only know of one reason mentioned in the Bible that could affect that. What would be the one reason? We looked at it in the Genesis, when we looked through the, the whole Genesis 1 through 10 account. Uh, and if you missed any of that series or you want to review any of that series, it's on shalomadventure.com. But we mentioned it then. What was the one change mentioned in the Bible that could possibly change where they were all 800 to 900 years and then a dramatic downward cycle down to 200 and even less within 10 generations. Well, the flood took place, so that's the when a change takes place. But what happened after the flood that could possibly change that's specifically mentioned in the Bible? No, that didn't come yet. Well, I guess, yeah, it did come. But that wouldn't necessarily lower their ages. That's right. They started eating meat. Yeah. That's the only thing mentioned in the Bible that would affect health, was prior to the flood, they were not allowed to eat meat. After the flood, God introduced and allowed them to eat clean meat. That's the only thing mentioned as far as health taking place. It's the only change that's specifically mentioned and we see this dramatic down, uh, decline in their ages. Now, even though this is 10 generations, you have Noah still alive at this point, but certainly Shem is still alive at this point. Uh, or maybe not at this point, but while Abraham is alive. So there was opportunity for Shem to tell Abram the whole account of the flood and what it was like prior to the flood and during the flood and after the flood and... Um, I think Seth lives up to Shem's day, or at least up to Noah's day, and so he would have been able to tell him about what it was like with the Garden of Eden, or just outside the Garden of Eden, and hearing it from Adam. So really, all the way from Adam to Abraham, the story, the account, were only a third or fourth hand. And not that many jumps of being told from person to person to be able to, even though 10 generations over two, or about 2,000 years, uh, only a few jumps of person-to-person -person telling of the account of the garden account before the fall, after the fall, before the flood, after the flood, during the flood, all the way to Abram. Now to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And so whether he told them specifically, I'm sending you to Canaan or not, it's mentioned that they were on their way to Canaan, but whether they knew it or not, it's just written after the fact that that's where we were going, but didn't know it at the time. But even if he was told you're going to Canaan, didn't know it necessarily mean he had a travel brochure about it. You know, wasn't necessarily able to, to know what hotel they were going to stay in or what it was like or where the nearest uh, restaurants were. Uh, so, um, so he's going to a land 
that God would show him that he had not been to before, wasn't familiar with, didn't necessarily know anyone there. And as far as the three children of Noah, uh, he's going to a different tribe, uh, to the, which ruled Canaan under the family of Ham, Ham, and uh, Abraham's from the lineage of Shem, so he's kind of going to a different, you know, different, maybe even different language, different region, different, didn't know if it snows there, what's the weather like there, you know, what's, uh, what's it like there, what are the people like there? And so he's going, he's told to just go out to a land that I'll show you, I'll tell you about it. Okay? And so if you got a job offer, offer to go live somewhere and didn't know what it's going to be like, hard to whether agree to it or not to it, well, what's the pay, what's it like, what's the living conditions? And so that's what God tells him. Go, and I will show you. Step out by faith. But God does make some promises with that in verse 2. He says, and I will make you a great nation. Now that might have seemed at the time, being said to Abraham, is kind of a far-fetched promise. One thing to build up where you're known, where you have generations of you know, you inherited from your father and your grandfather, and the name is known in the area, and you have contacts and connections and whatever business or whatever you're going to do to raise up in that point. Uh, it's another thing to go to somewhere else where you're a nobody, and all by yourself, people already established there, you don't have any land inheritance or anything, but I'm going to make you a great nation. And at this point, as has already been stated, Sarah had no child. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Go trust in the Lord. And we've seen that God has fulfilled these things. God did tell Abraham to go, and we'll see Abraham does go, and he goes to the land that God showed him, and God did make it a great nation. Not in Abraham's day, but he does fulfill his promise. It becomes a great nation. Many people come out of Egypt, come into the land of Canaan, begin to, at that time, after Moses, after the Passover, after the deliverance out of Egypt, brings us into the land, does amazing things, miraculous things, conquering the land. And then under the judges, becoming a stronger and stronger nation, and under King David, certainly a great nation, and under Solomon, a great nation. And then established and lasting for hundreds of years as a nation. Fighting wars, winning wars, losing wars. As an established nation. Miraculous. Told to Abraham, one person, traveling around with his father who dies and his nephew and his barren wife. I'll make you a great nation. And he did. And then after not being a nation for close to 2,000 years, or 1,800 years, it becomes a nation again. Amazing. Absolutely amazing, unheard of in history for a people group to lose their nation, to lose their land, to lose their country. And close to 1,800 years later to gain it back. 1,900 years later, gain it back. Miraculous. Absolutely miraculous. God fulfilled his promise. And that's there in this whole long 14 chapters is really to teach us about faith. That's very important. 
And God wants us to get it in the idea and the, and the concept and the account of Abraham. God makes promises, big promises to you and to me, just as he did to Abraham. Not always fulfilled in our lifetime, and I know he's filled in our time schedule. But God fulfilled that twice over. Made it a great nation. I mean, Israel is such a great nation today, every time the UN meets, the main topic of discussion is Israel. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> every nation thinks about Israel all day long. I mean, it's always there. There's more resolutions about Israel than any other country in the world. It's absolutely amazing how great a nation it is. And then sometimes I read things, I read an article about whatever, hurricane here, or uh, fire started here, or inflation there, or something like that. And then sometimes I read the comments below by various people, people type it. And somehow or another, the Jews always end up in the discussion. Now, oh, it's all the Jews did this, and the Jews did that, and they, they own all the banks, and they own all this. It's amazing. I love it. I mean, it's great. We are wonderful. I mean, we own everything. I mean, who would think? You know, we're that powerful. I mean, I look in the mirror, it's like, ah, ah. You know, but hey, this guy says we're great. We know everything. We're able to control the world. I mean, how about that? I mean, you know. I'm getting free rent in this guy's head all the time. I mean, it's wonderful. He thinks about us all day long. He wakes up in the morning, he's thinking about us. It doesn't matter if you're reading an article about something. Hey, it's got to be the Jews. He's always thinking about it. People are always thinking about us. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Much better than who we think we are. Because other people think we're terrific. Powerful. We can't decide where we're going for lunch, you know, but they think we're controlling the world. We know everything. We're manipulating everything. And we're having a hard time making it out of the door. Well, great. We're a great nation. God promised it. They testify. They tell us it. UN acknowledges it all the time. And some of these nations say, oh, they, they've got this, these killer sharks and they've got cameras on dolphins and these amazing drones and little bugs and they're just so it's amazing. We didn't even think of those things. They tell us, they give us credit for those things. Amazing. And not just the nation, promise this nation in Galatians 3.29, and if you belong to Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. As we'll see when God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, I'll make you the father of many nations. So out of this great nation, just not just the people group, not only the bloodline, but all who believe in Messiah are Abraham's children as well. Part of that great nation that God has made. Amazing. Through this faith of this one man. Starts the whole ball rolling. Millions and millions and down through the ages, billions of people are part of this and have been from Abraham's day to our day, this nation of God. Genesis 12, verse 2. And I will bless you and make your name great. And the name Abraham today, 4,000 years later, 
You're still reading about 14 chapters in the Bible. Your name will be great. Just to start, just leave, and I'll make your name great. Not only did the Jews recognize the greatness of Abraham and read the Torah year after year, read his accounts, but Christianity. Looks and reads about Abraham. Exalts the name of Abraham. And Islam, too. Yes. A little twisted version of it, but nonetheless. <laughs> they acknowledge Abraham. So we're talking the majority of the world know at least something, again, maybe not always everything accurate, but have something to know about Abraham. From a promise, a line, a couple words, when he was a nothing, leaving everything he knew to go to where he didn't know, to go nowhere, just a traveling, wandering Jew. Wasn't even a Jew yet. <laughs> traveling around. Made his name great. 4,000 years later. God's promises are accurate. And just as God fulfilled his promises in Abraham, God will fulfill his promises to you and to me as well. We can trust in God's word. And you shall be a blessing. Even more important than being blessed is being a blessing. That's much greater. And we are blessed when we are used by God in being a blessing. That's a much better prayer. Lord, use me today as a blessing in someone's life. But I think most often our prayers are, Lord, bless me. Help me, take care of me, guide me, direct me, show me, give me, help me, the finances, my sick, help me, heal me. All about bless me, help me. Give me this raise, give me this promotion, give me this job, find me this spouse, provide for me. Bless me. But the greatest blessing is to be a blessing. God, use me. Much, much better prayer than all the other prayers. And if we pray that prayer, God, use me, he'll fulfill all the other things we could possibly even think of if we wanted to. Like Solomon. Lord, use me. And God said, you didn't ask for all these other things, but I'm going to give you all those other things you could have asked for because you asked to be used as a blessing with wisdom to minister to the people. As God promised Abraham, he'd be a blessing. Now, in the life of Abraham himself, we do see sometimes he was a blessing. He did do some things uh, that were good, and we'll see, with, uh, helping his nephew out. But for the most part, he didn't come in contact with a whole lot of people, at least in the accounts we have of the Bible, mostly wandering around the desert by himself with sheep. Comes in contact with some people in some nations, sometimes to be a blessing, sometimes not always. So he was a blessing in his life to some. But certainly afterwards, in this great nation that God promised, we see tremendous blessings. Just a, this is adapted from uh, Catherine Bernheimer's talk she gave one time. And so some of the things, some of the inventions, some good, some not so good, <laughs> of, that have come out of Jew, from Jewish people, jeans, right? Levi's, <laughs> lipstick, whatever you want or not, whatever, ballpoint pen. Can't get by without that, could you? <laughs> we could use pencils, right? Contraceptives, television remote control, couch potato. 
Traffic lights, because they're pretty good. I've been in some countries that didn't have traffic lights and it's not so good. Scotch guard, flexi straw, the atomic bomb, the thermonuclear bomb, the genetic engineering, the nuclear chain reactor, virtual reality. That was a pretty big stuff, everything from a ballpoint pen to a nuclear thermal bomb. These people who think that we own the world, control the world, you know, they, they, they hate us and want to kill us. You know, they say that we're all that great. The one they join. You know, we've been this great for so long. Come on. Come on. You, you wouldn't have all these things. What they get by without a ballpoint pen? Or jeans. The sitcom, not only just the sitcom, but how many comedians and musicians? Long playing record, sound movies, videotape, color television, instant photography, holograph, Christmas music. I added that one in there, but a lot of Christmas, maybe not the inventor of Christmas music, but a lot of Christmas music comes from Jews. <laughs> Monotheism, that's an important one. Psychoanalysis, the theory of relativity, the weekend, Shabbat, the Messiah, I put that one in there too. Very important. Prozac, Valium, polio cure, radiation, chemotherapy, artificial kidney dialysis machine, defibrillator, cardiac pacemaker, hepatitis B cure, laser technology. So all these Jew haters can give all that stuff back. Right? <laughs> Fax machine, optical fiber cable, Google, like I said, some things better than others. Microphone, uh, gramophone, right? Invented by Abraham's grandmother. Gramophone, <laughs> microchip, laser cellular technology, videotape recorder, drip irrigation. Now that is an important one. Scale model electric trains, pager, walkie talkies, refrigerated railroad cars. Must have been hard on those cars prior to that. Refrigerated railroad cars, high, uh, high vacuum electronic tubes, incandescent lamp. Kodachrome film, right? Mama don't take my Kodachrome, right? The blimp, adding machine, stainless steel, and tapered rolling bearings, just for a short list. I'm sure there's many, many more things. I'll run off a list. At least 178 Jews have been awarded the Nobel Prize. Now I know today the Nobel Prize is nothing, worth nothing, is it nothing? You know, it's a useless, Thing. They're giving it to people who've done nothing. They're not giving it to people who've done major things. But at one time, it was an important thing. 178 Jews, accounting to 23% of all individual recipients worldwide between 1901 and 2008, and constituting 37% of all U.S. recipients during the same period of time. Jews currently make up approximately what percent of the world's population and what percent of the U.S. population? Anyone know? What percent of the world population? Like 2%? Okay, and of the U.S. population? No one wants to even take a guess? Of the world population, a quarter percent. 
and we dominate the world. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> we rule and control the world, and we make up not even a 1%, a 0.25%, a quarter percent. That is so amazing. How on earth can, you know, not even the one percenters, we're the quarter percenters. <laughs> and they say we rule the world. Well, that is really powerful then. I mean, we'd really be great. Again, they should join on. Why don't you learn that? If you really believe that we control everything, well, why don't you come alongside and learn something then? If you really believe that, that a quarter percent of the population of the world is controlling everything. So either they're saying they're really dumb, you know, and can't figure their way out their door, uh, that they can't have an impact on the world, that they can't come up with some Nobel honored things that change the world and health and positive ways impact the world. But all these things, from a quarter percent of the world population, two percent of the U.S. population. But it definitely is miraculous that 2% of the U.S. population comes up with 37% of major discoveries. A quarter percent of the world comes up with 23% of the world inventions that benefit humanity. That's amazing. And it goes back to God's promise that I will make you a great nation. I will make you a blessing. God has designed, has created us to be a blessing. And it, again, doesn't just have to be us, because everybody who wants to can join. If you believe Messiahs, they're Abraham's seed and part of the tribe. And so they can be. Just come on. And God will make you a blessing. You don't have to sit there in your mother's basement and type out nasty things and, on, on posts and on the internet. Hand out ugly flyers and spray paint uh, Nazi symbols on, on, on buildings. Get a life, right? And become a blessing instead of a jerk. <laughs> Come alongside and join. God invites them to join. Surrender to the Messiah and be Abraham's seed and heir according to the promises. And what are the promises? To be a blessing. So back to Genesis chapter 12, two, yeah, 12 verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> right? They can sit there in their mother's basement and curse all they want. And they got nothing better to do all day and type out nasty things and work on their spray painting skills. But praise the Lord. God will deal with them. 4,000 years later, we're still here. There have been attempts to enslave us, to assimilate us, to change us, to destroy us, to annihilate us. And we're still here. And God has cursed those who've attempted to curse us. Not always as fast as I might have wanted or we might have wanted, but eventually he gets around to dealing with it. Right? There's no more pharaohs today. Ancient Egyptians are gone. Modern Egyptians don't trace their lineage to ancient Egyptians. They're gone. The uh, Haman, ooh. He's gone, and his whole lineage is gone. The only reason he's known is because we bring him up every year. <laughs> you know, we mention his name just so we can boo him every year. <laughs> but otherwise, nobody knows him. <laughs> he's gone. He's been cursed. 
God. Hitler's dead. No children, no nothing left. Nazis? Eh, there's remnants, but you know, it's not really a nation anymore. Yes, I know there's Nazis within a lot of nations, a lot of uh, governments, but, uh, but it's not like what it was and what it planned to be and what it was becoming. For the most part, just a sideline act. And people are trying to resurrect because they're still stuck in their hatred and their anger. But God has cursed it. And God will curse those who curse God's people. Again, not necessarily right away, not necessarily a lightning bolt the first moment they type or say or curse or do. But eventually, God will deal with them. And if not in this life, God will deal with them in the judgment. God will curse them. And if that's what they want, and it's amazing how many people that curse Israel and curse Jewish people and curse God's nation of people, Abraham's seed, both literally and spiritually. How many of them are professing to read the Bible? Sad. They're going to be cursed. They're going to be dealt with. God's going to deal with them. Can you imagine if there was no war, how many more famous people that were Jews that could invent more stuff? Yeah. To help the country and help the world. Yeah. But they still wanted to kill no. the Jews, so right. you don't know. No, wars are a horrible thing. Wars are a horrible thing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. How many? Uh, yeah. How many other scientists would have been in there that died in the gas chamber? Yeah, right? How many inventors? How many Jesus. medicine? And how many uh, Albert Einstein's? But uh, yeah, we don't know. But God will deal with, and God will curse those who curse God's people. And he does, and he has. Historically, we see it. Again, another amazing promise fulfilled that God has dealt, and we're still here today. God has dealt with those in the past, and he will deal with these in the present. He will deal with them in the future. He will continue to protect his people and bless those who bless. Bless those who bless you. And we see that not always again right away. Sometimes there's some politicians or governments that do something favorable to Israel and then they don't get reelected. And we think, why, you know, well, I don't know. Maybe they weren't sincere. Maybe they were just doing it for votes or show or maybe to try and get a, fulfill a promise. You know, again, if you try and give to God, hoping that you're going to get a, a windfall, you know, your motive's not right. But maybe the motives were right. God's again, he blesses eternally. Is the bigger picture. It's not about getting that job now. It's not necessarily staying in position now. That's an automatic Quick fix, quick blessing. You just go throw some juice, some money, and you get a blessing, you know, or give them some praise or help them out. But God does bless. He promised, and He does, and He has. Bless those who bless God's people. We want to be on the blessing side, right? We want to be blessed. We want to continue to be a blessing. Bless each other, bless God's family, bless God's people and be a blessing to the world, even the enemies, be a blessing. And God is using and continuing to use. I mean, Turkey has an earthquake, Syria has an earthquake, uh, enemies of Israel. And Israel sends people to help find people and rescue people and use technology to see under the rubble. And 
be a blessing. Better to be a blessing than to be a cursor. And that's what God promised to Abraham and to his children. So we want to be on the right side. And don't worry if they're cursing you. God will deal with them. His way and his time. He will take care of his own. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, he already mentioned that you will be a blessing. So why does he basically say it again? Well, there he said you will be a blessing in verse 2. And now in verse 3 he says, and all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's more than a general blessing. That's more than, uh, again, some of those inventions and medical advances and things that we saw. That's general and applies to a person who's sick or a person who needs. But all the families of the earth. Not just all the nations, but all the families. Not just all the groups within a nation, but all the families. Down to individual homes, individual people. All the families of the earth. All time. All families. All people would be blessed through Abraham. Now, how could Abraham have blessed all people? He didn't even travel that far. He traveled a little distance. You know, he didn't go everywhere. He didn't go down to what's called Africa today. He didn't go to Australia. He didn't go up to Asia or Europe. Again, didn't come in contact with that many people while he was alive. But all the families of the earth, we read some of the ways of blessing, but that's obviously not full fulfillment to all the families of the earth to be blessed through Abraham? How could that be? The Bible tells us. Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He doesn't say to seeds as many, but to your seed, who is Messiah. So in the Messiah, all the families of the earth have been blessed. Through the Messiah, every nation, every people group within a nation, every language group, every family, every individual has been blessed through the Messiah, whether they realize it or not. For God so loved the world that he gave the Messiah. That the Messiah died for the sins of the world. While we were yet sinners, while we were against him, the lamb slain, from the foundation of the earth. Before Adam and Eve even sinned, the payment was provided. Salvation has been given to everyone. Everyone. Not only offered, but given to everyone. Without us asking, he paid the price for our sin. Nothing we can do to gain it. He freely gave us 
forgiveness, freely gave us his salvation to all the world. All the world has been blessed. Every family, every person has been blessed with the gift of salvation. Now, not everyone benefits from it, but God has given it to everyone, to every individual. I've used this analogy, and maybe you've heard me say it before, but I'm going to improve on it tonight, I think. Let's say I had enough money to do this activity. I don't, but let's say I did. Right? So imagine I had enough money in the bank, and I wrote a check to everyone here, individually, each person individually, for $100,000. Or if you want $10,000, it doesn't matter. I don't have it anymore. But let's say I did. And I wrote that check for everything, every single one of you. And half of you here cash that check. Where's the money? Where's the money? Half of you cashed the check. I gave everyone a check. Half of you cashed it. Where is that money? In your hands? No. It was in the group that cashed the check. Where's the money? Well, everyone got an individual check. It's not a group. I gave you one on your name. I wrote your name on it. I didn't write a group name. It's every person in their hands, right? No, you already spent it. But, uh, but yeah, and theoretically, it went into your hands at some point, right? You had it for a time, but you already blew it. But, uh, you, know, but you had it. You, it became yours, right? Now, the other half, they want to cash it, maybe. They don't want to cash it, maybe. They don't believe it really. I have that much. They, they, they don't believe it's really a bank like that or whatever. And they take it, whatever, they put it in a drawer somewhere, it settles down to the bottom, and one day they, they, they clean out the drawer and it ends up in the washing machine, or, or they, they move and they throw the dresser away and it gets chewed up in a, in a machine somewhere and, and the check gets all chewed to pieces and, and thrown away. Where is the money? In the bank. What bank? My bank. Did I give it to them? I gave it to them. I gave it to them. I wrote their name on it. I gave it to them. Did they benefit from it? No. Now again, I said I'll improve on it. Not only do I believe he gives us the check, he already deposited the money in our accounts. I had a direct deposit to your account, and I deposited the money in your account. And you look at your statement, and boom, it went up this much. But you don't believe it. I don't really believe it. I don't believe what this statement says. I don't believe that money is there. I'm not going to write any check over the amount that I knew was there because I don't want my checks bouncing. This has got to be a lie. It's got to be a mistake. And so they never access it. Do they benefit from it? No. Even though it was in their account? Yes. God has placed it on all people's accounts without their permission. Did the Messiah ask you? Whether or not he should forgive you, whether or not he should die for you before he, before he did it? No. He already placed it in our account. Those who benefit from it, believe. Believe. Believe and benefit from it. Now there are some conditions that go along with that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness and to repent of the sins and to live righteously, 
righteously in him. But where do those things come from? From God. God has given you a measure of faith, the Bible says. And if you don't have enough to believe that he actually did what we just described, what do we, what do, we do? Pray and ask for? Increase my faith. <laughs> give me more faith. And he'll give you more faith. Right? So it still comes from him. So the faith to believe comes from him. And, the, and the, the conviction comes from him, gift of conviction, the confession, the gift of repentance, the Bible calls it, the gift of repentance, the ability to repent comes from him. And the ability to obey, and to live righteously comes from him. He is the Lord, our righteousness. Right? And so all those things come from him, that he did in us, that he does through us. Again, he gives us the ability to stop it and say, no, I don't want it. I don't believe it's possible. And I can't believe I'm forgiven. You know, he said so. It was a really bad thing I did. Because we can deny it. We can block it. I don't believe I can overcome. Been doing it for too long. It's too ingrained. It's too hard a thing. I'm just weak. I'm just human. And we can deny his power, his righteousness. We can deny his forgiveness. We can deny his free gift and block it, because he's given us free choice. But he's already given it to us. We don't have to earn it, we don't have to gain it. And yet the majority of people who profess to read the Bible fall into one or two groups. Either they think we gotta do something to earn it, to earn credit with God, that we need to become better, that we need to try harder, that we need to be obedient in order to earn his love, to earn forgiveness with him, credit with him. Or the other group thinks it stops at forgiveness. That the only thing he was able to do was give us forgiveness. But that he doesn't give us the ability and the power to fully repent, to fully obey. And so either side is in denial of full faith. But it takes, all it takes is to believe. Believe he's already loved me. He first loved us. He's first done this for us. He's first given to us. Believe. Believe that he's forgiven you. Pre-forgiven you. Believe that he'll give us the power to turn from it. And believe that he'll give us the power to not do it again. Believe that he can give us the power to be in obedience with him. It comes down to faith, believing in his promises. That's what it is. That's what it takes. That's what it comes down to. But it's still all God doing it. We get no credit for anything. You don't get a credit for believing. You don't get credit for confessing. You don't get credit for repenting. You don't get credit for obedience. Because all of those come from God. And he's already given them already to us. They're at our disposal. Just believe and they're there. It's not like it has to come through you know, three days shipping or something like that. A multitude of prayers. Ask, believe, and it's yours. The things that God has promised to us, they're there for us. It doesn't get any better than that. And it can't get any better than that. And it shouldn't get any better than that. That's fabulous news. That is good news. The good news.
He's already forgiven us, and he's already given us everything necessary for salvation. Not only salvation from death, not only salvation from punishment, not only saved from punishment of sin, but saved us from the power of sin in the here and now. All through the seed, the blessing, that all the families of the earth have received, that have been given anyway. They haven't accepted it, maybe. Don't believe in it. Haven't made use of it, but given to everyone beforehand. Again, God so loved the world. Not just believers, everyone. Slain from the foundation of the world. While we were yet sinners. Again, not just believers. All, everyone. All the children of Adam. Genesis 12, verse 4, Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Again, no mention of Lot's wife yet. Probably not married yet. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. He believed and he went, right? Believed and obeyed. Would he have really have believed if he just stayed there? Is that real faith? No. True faith acts. There's power in the promise. There's power in the belief, in the promise. That moves us forward in action. A belief that does not act, faith without works, is dead. It's not real faith. True faith will move us. Because it's the power of God that moves us. And so Abraham believed, and he went. He moved. He acted. By faith. And in James chapter 2, verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. That's good, God's friend. Want to be God's friend? Believe his promises. And when Abraham believed, it was credited to him as righteousness. So even before he acted, even before he had the opportunity to act, it's credited to him as righteousness. He believed and thus he became righteous by faith. But as that righteousness is credited to him, what does it mean that it's credited to him? And if you get a notice that a certain amount of money has been credited to you, $1,000 has been credited to you, what does that mean? $1,000 have been placed in your account. It's been given to you. You can now spend it. So God credited to Abraham what? Righteousness. For what purpose? So you can be God's friend, but credited to him for righteousness. Again, if you were credited $1,000, it gives you the ability to do what? Or whatever, right? 
to spend how much? $1,000, right? So if you're credited with righteousness, what does it give you? Righteousness. The ability to be righteous. Right? To be a blessing. Right? To do righteousness. So God, he believed, and thus the shift, the, the switch was open, and the righteousness came. Credited to him, and that gave him the ability to do righteousness. See, Abraham didn't have the ability to go forth in his own strength. You and I don't have the, the ability to obey in our own strength. But as we believe in God's promises, the power to obey is there. It's already been deposited. It's already credited. And when we believe that it's there, now we have access to it. And so he believed, and thus he had access to the power, and he was able to move forward in faith. Right? How many times we have we believe and we have a desire, but it's not a desire is not enough. Right? We need to take hold of that righteousness that is given to us and act upon it and believe. Now, God might not be asking you to leave your home, move to some country or some place that you don't know of. And, never been to and don't know anyone there. And we say, oh, if I was like Abraham, I have the faith of Abraham, I, I would go like Abraham would go. God doesn't test us all in the same way. That was Abraham's initial test, and we're going to see there's a bunch of tests that God puts Abraham through. God puts everybody through different tests. So I don't know what your test is, but just as God gave him a command to go and then promises with it, God has given us tests, commands, with promises. And he wants to see if we will believe those promises, receive the righteousness accredited to us that has already been given to us, that's already deposited for us, so that we can then act on that faith and obey. And so God commands to return a tithe, 10%, and offerings. We can believe that. We can read that. And it says, I will give to you pressed down and shaken together and flowing over. I will open the windows of the storehouse of heaven and pour out such a blessing upon you that you won't have room to receive it. And we go, hallelujah, I believe it. And then we look in our wallet, we look at our bills, and we fear, and we go, oh, I don't know. But the righteousness, the power is already there. Believe. God said it. When God says something, he gives the ability and the power to move on it as well. To act on it as well. The righteousness is there. God credited it to him as righteousness. God will credit it to you as righteousness and give it there to you. The Sabbath. Wonderful promises with that. Rest, enter into his rest. And then the boss says, I'll fire you. Do we believe? What to eat, what to not eat. There's not a lot of tests specifically mentioned in the Bible. There are a few to test our faith, to test whether or not we really do believe. Those are just some of them. But it might be something else for you, more general, such as love your enemy. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Pray for those who hate you. 
Tell others around you of God's love and God's goodness. As God impresses each one of us with a test to speak for him, to do for him, to manifest for him righteousness and goodness, do we believe and are we willing to act by his power, by his righteousness, righteousness by faith. Not your righteousness, God's righteousness that we receive and that enacts through us by faith in what he promised to do and what he is able to do. And is there anything God is not able to do? No. I can do all things through the Messiah who gives me strength. His righteousness imparted to us and available by faith, which he has already given us. Again, he already has given to us a measure of faith and he will give more if we need more. So it all there available to us from him. No excuse. There's no excuse that we can possibly come up with. The Spirit is willing. Forget about the flesh. Crucify the flesh. But the Spirit, God's Spirit, is willing. People that think about my Spirit, I'm willing, I'm willing, really willing, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Forget about the flesh, crucify the flesh, and let the Holy Spirit, let the Spirit that is more than willing to work in you and through you, bring obedience out of you. Yes. Allow him. Just allow him. Surrender. And allow God to work through you. Let this mind be in you. Let. Allow. That was in the Messiah. Let these actions flow through you that he did. Let his great works, his great promises, his great commandments flow out of you. He'll be credited to you. Believe, and he'll give you the credit. He'll give you what you need to obey, to be righteous. Righteousness by faith. Not by pretending, but real righteousness enacted out. Because not only did Abraham believe, but then he had the power to act. And he acted. He did. He moved, he went, he obeyed. That's what God is looking for today as well. So Abraham is our example of righteousness by faith, a faith that acts righteously. And so as we prepare to pray, you wanna be God's friend? God is already your friend. Be credited, written in the record books. You're his friend, too. Demonstrate love for him. Love him and love his children, even his disobedient children. <clears throat> love. God will give us the ability. And so whatever test God is putting you through, the moment we pray, you can surrender that. Whatever God's convicting you, bringing to your mind that he wants to, that he's testing you in, Maybe today differently than tomorrow, differently than yesterday, whatever the test is right now. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Give me their righteousness, live it out in me. To pass the test, to demonstrate to the world God living in you. So if God's bringing anything to your mind in a moment when we pray, you can surrender that to him. Secondly, if there's some area of 
sin in your life, something still on your record, some area of disobedience, past or present, confess it to the Lord, between you and him, a moment we pray, and thus you can receive his forgiveness that he's already given to you. A confession just opens the door, just unlocks it. It's already there. He's already freely given it to you. Accept and receive it through confession. And be cleansed of all unrighteousness and filled with his righteousness to move forward in obedience. Maybe God's impressing on your mind and heart somebody who needs to know of the love of God, the righteousness of God. I think they need to do more, they need to try harder, they need to obey more, they need to do something before God accepts them and God makes them their friend. Or maybe they think it just ends with God just forgiving and that's enough. And you want to share, and God's impressing you to share the fullness of the gospel with them. In the moment when we pray, ask God to give you the words to say and the actions to live out to be a demonstration of that. Maybe you're willing to pray, Lord, make me a blessing. Lord, take my prayers, make my prayers more often about being a blessing than receiving a blessing. In a moment when we pray, you can ask God to do that. Make me a blessing. Helping someone somehow, maybe something that will help humanity or maybe just something that will help my neighbor. Use me and make me a blessing. Any of those areas apply to you and maybe some other area God's speaking to your heart and mind about. Let's pray and let God work in us and through us. Maybe you just want to thank him for his great love already given to us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for first loving us with an everlasting love and first giving to us your salvation. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you, Yeshua, for giving yourself for us. Thank you for cleansing us of sin. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for paying the price for us completely and totally. Thank you for giving us the gift of your righteousness. Live it in us and out of us. Transform us and make us a blessing to all those around us. Let your light shine through us for your honor and glory. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.